Good morning, Hope Astoria. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm so glad that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm thrilled that we have family, friends, guests joining us. My prayer is that you would truly sense the love of Jesus today as we celebrate this tremendous day, a day that changed history. It's the very reason why we are gathered as followers of Jesus, why we seek to serve him and know him, because this day has made the Christian life possible. We're going to be reading from scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 and onward. It says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for this incredible opportunity that we have to celebrate, to truly enter in this moment, this day that changed history, but personally it has transformed our lives when you rose from the dead. Lord, would you be with us, speak to us, glorify yourself, Holy Spirit, meet us exactly where we're at, and may your presence be felt and known by all who are with us at this time and looking to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I was a kid, I distinctly remember uh, this moment that kind of etched a reality of life, a painful reality of life. And it, it, it was strange that it took this thing to kind of communicate this really profound, unsettling, but true reality of life. It was the Woolworth store. Now, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, do yourself the favor and Google. Uh, type in Woolworth and you will soon discover that there was a chain of stores that was actually founded 1879 and closed in 1997. Now, if you're quick with math, you know that's 118 years. The store existed. It was a convenience store. It sold things at as cheap a price as possible uh, and was frequented by many, especially in New York. I grew up, there was a Woolworth on Fifth Avenue in Sunset Park, and we would go there and buy essentials. And they also sold chocolates and they had a counter where you can buy food. It really was kind of a throwback to uh, old days in America, but they no longer exist. And I remember as a kid, the reality that things don't last forever. There's things that people thought would be with us forever and are no longer here. There's banks that used to be very prominent that are no longer around. There's institutions, there's uh, sports teams, there's 
all sorts of things that are now just relics in history. And why I reflect on that as we go to the text of Scripture and we celebrate this day, Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, is because in a world where things don't last, in a world where tomorrow is not promised to the things that we think will be here forever, the institutions, the power brokers, the Christian faith has survived. And it has survived throughout the ages, and it survived with with the least amount of backing and resources. It has outlived civilizations and empires. There were times where entire uh, power structures and incredible resources were set against the Christian faith and sought to annihilate it and decimate it. And yet it has persisted. And even now there are countries where it is illegal and to practice the Christian faith, to follow Jesus. And it's punishable by jail or death and all sorts of things that uh, that are wrought against followers of Jesus to seek to suppress and eliminate this person, Jesus, being an influence in our life and our world. And yet the Christian faith has survived. And with all of that, when you think of things that used to be here and we thought were indispensable and would never go away, but are no longer here, whether businesses, institutions, yet the Christian faith is still here. It really begs the question, how did Christianity survive? See, when you look at history in the context, it's truly hard to understand how the Christian faith survived, especially because movements typically don't outlive their founder. The, do, the death of a founder, of a company, of an institution, of an organization is tragic because normally it's accepted that the better days of that institution, organization are behind them because you can't imagine this group of people, this idea, this enterprise exceeding the impact and the influence of the founder. But in our faith, we are standing on the shoulders of our Messiah who was crucified. And yet our faith in Jesus and this way of life of following Jesus has persisted. And that's saying something because even during the time of Jesus, there were actually other messianic movements. There were other people that claimed to be a Messiah and they would amass followers and they would kind of make some noise and stir some stuff up. But then when that founder of that movement would pass away, their followers would scatter. And actually, there's a moment in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 33 to 39, that understands kind of this, un that, that highlights this understanding that they weren't like jumping up and down and just going after this movement or that movement because there were so many at the time of Jesus. Because they knew this principle that the founder, once the founder is gone, that these movements tend to dissipate and just just blend in and they're forgotten. But at this time in Acts chapter 5, the apostles, the followers of Jesus who walk with him, who he trained now after his death and he's no longer here, they're continuing in his life and in his teachings and they're shaking the world upside down. And so for them... Uh, it, you, these these religious leaders that were questioning the Christian faith and wondering what is this all about, 
knowing that the, the founder of the faith, Jesus, is no longer here, it was puzzling. You see, they were preaching that a man was raised from the dead as the central point of their movement. That's also very peculiar and particular. Most movements, organizations are not heralding and proclaiming that at the core of their identity and why they exist is the fact that their founder has risen from the dead. But yet, that's exactly what the apostles were saying. See, it, it wasn't just the fact that the founder of our faith died, and it, it raises the question, how does this faith survive after that catastrophic loss? But actually, the very first account, what we just read, is deeply problematic. Because in that culture, women were utterly despised. They were not seen as credible, especially as eyewitnesses. See, the resurrection of Jesus had a fundamental problem. The, the first eyewitnesses were not considered credible by that culture. See, if it wasn't bad enough that the first followers of Jesus, even many of them didn't fully believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If you read the gospel accounts, the very first uh, days after his resurrection, many of them doubted. Jesus had to appear to his followers and assure them and show them his scars and his wounds to, to prove to them that it was him, that in fact the tomb was empty. So not only did some of the core followers struggle to believe at first, but outsiders hearing this story would have had a huge issue because Right in the middle of the story of the empty tomb and the resurrected body of Jesus was the fact that the first eyewitnesses were women. Now, there was a thinker at that time, a second century philosopher, Celsus, who was antagonistic to the Christian faith. And one of his big arguments against the resurrection was that the first witnesses were women. See, if this was a lie that the apostles sought to perpetrate and delude people, they should have told a better lie because from the very beginning, they're setting themselves up to be disbelieved by people at that time. Yet Matthew 28, verse 1 to 7, tells us that on this day, long ago, when these first eyewitnesses went to the tomb to visit Jesus, assuming that he was dead. They, they went to mourn. They discovered that the tomb was empty. And this moment that we celebrate today has become the distinguishing marker, the core identifier, and just the undeniable, indelible characteristic of our faith the driving force, the engine of our belief and our life in Jesus stems from the empty tomb of Jesus. You know, as a Puerto Rican man uh, who's married to an Irish woman who lives in a predominantly Irish neighborhood, um, often I have to remind myself of my own identity as a Puerto Rican man. And, and um, and in and, and conversations with people, not just that are Irish, but people that are Asian, black, all sorts of ethnicities and backgrounds, it, it's sometimes we, we seek to communicate the essence of who we are as people, whether ethnically, 
socioeconomically with kind of like these quick ways to describe it, where maybe there's a dish that represents your culture, where you say, if you want to understand the history, the flavors, the, the things that have shaped us as a people, you got to try this dish. Uh, or if you want to understand us as a people, you got to go to this city and actually understand the history, the events that took place then. Um, there's all sorts of ways that we seek to bridge the gap of understanding when we try to help people understand who we are and what influences us and dominates us. You know, there's, there's historical moments that define people. If you want to understand people from previous generations, why they save and why they spend the way they do, sometimes you have to ask, did they live through a war? Did they live through some kind of catastrophic event that shaped their outlook in life? There's all sorts of ways that we seek to explain who we are and understand others. But for us as followers of Jesus, the thing that helps us interpret our life, that helps us to explain to others what it means to follow him, it's none other than the empty tomb of Jesus. It is the thing that most succinctly describes and explains who we are as followers of Jesus and what it means to serve him. The empty tomb explains this all. It explains it all. If you ask the question that we began with, how did the Christian faith survive through all these centuries? If you're a skeptic and you're looking in from the outside and you're, and you're looking for an explanation as to the survival for the Christian faith and you don't understand what this is all about, why do we live the way we do, why do we organize our lives around the teachings of Jesus and practice the things that we practice, the empty tomb explains it. If you, want, if you want to understand why we as Christians do not quit and cower in the face of injustice and oppression and violence, why we seek to raise our voice and declare the kingdom of God in the face of evil and brokenness, the empty tomb explains it. If you want to understand why sometimes we get bad news and we don't allow that bad news to shape us and we emerge with hope and we say, despite what's been told to me, I'll trust God. I'll continue to persevere. Right now, you may have received bad news and difficulty and going through a tough time outside of the very pandemic that we're all experiencing. And it, it, those pressures and those things would seek to kind of silence you and define you and kind of put you in a corner and, and hem you in. Yet, we have a different word, a different truth that we live our lives from. Our circumstances don't define us. They don't dictate who we are or what we will be for us. The thing that changes everything that defines us is the empty tomb of Jesus. This day that we celebrate defines everything, explains everything as to who we are, how our faith has survived over the centuries, and why we seek to live the lives that we seek to live as followers of Jesus. See, the command center of the church is actually not its visible leaders. It's not our traditions. It's actually the empty tomb. The thing that drives the Christian faith, the thing that has propelled it through the centuries, and why governments and civilizations and oppositions of all sorts could not crush the faith in Jesus is because 
They weren't trying to silence an idea, though they thought that's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to stop a custom or a tradition or a peculiar way of living that if you just put enough pressure and, and, and exert enough force, they'll stop living that way. They didn't realize, and today even, it's not often realized that to oppress and come against the Christian faith is not to come against a tradition or a denomination, but is to seek to resist the most undeniable, irresistible power the world has ever known, and that is the power of the resurrection. From his empty tomb, life has reverberated into this broken and dark world, and that is what causes our faith to move forward. It was the empty tomb that propelled the civil rights movement, and in the face of all that injustice caused beauty and love to triumph over some of the worst evils. It was the Christian faith that emanated from the resurrection and the power of the empty tomb that has empowered Christians throughout the ages to be the most vocal agents of change and love and transformation from the founding of hospitals and universities and seeking to end uh, unjust practices and labor laws and protect the vulnerable and children that were being exploited throughout society. All the ills that our faith has rectified and addressed and continues to do so it's not because we're just some do-gooders and it's not because we're just persistent or or stubborn and and we just want to change things after our own liking no it's because inside of you and i as followers of jesus there exists a supernatural life a power a force that is otherworldly, and it is a life that emanates in you and I that society can't suppress, though it tries. Addictions can't suppress this, though it tries. Our past tries to silence the power of the resurrected life of Jesus, but it can't. It fails because the empty tomb broke every power at its root. And from that moment on, you and I step into our broken world in the ashes of life and we have an assured confidence and anchoring that is not pegged to human approval, to resources, to comfort, but our confidence in this world and what informs our life and inspires our movements and our thoughts and our actions is the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb of Jesus explains how we can obey God. When people are unloving toward us and they've betrayed us and wounded us and have said things that were unforgivable, we rise to the occasion and we find the capacity to forgive in the power of the empty tomb of Jesus. When addictions seek to cripple us and grind us down and hold us back, we don't give up, we don't give in, we resist those things, not in our power, but in the power of the resurrected Jesus. The empty tomb of Jesus changes us and radically alters our values, our priorities, and everything about us. I remember hearing a story of a journalist that was an atheist and he was investigating the Christian faith kind of as a journalist was, like very thorough. 
and he was scoring through documents and data and kind of lawyer-like investigating the claims of Jesus. But one of the most gripping things that changed his heart and his life and opened him up to the faith was when he saw a poor inner city single mother in Chicago get blessed with a tremendous amount of Christmas gifts. Her story of her struggle was made known and a lot of people in the Chicago area began to pour in blessings and gifts to this woman and her family. And much to the shock of this investigator, he saw when she amassed all these things, the first thing she did was seek to bless others. This didn't make sense then. This woman was poor. Uh, it, what made sense to him is that she would perhaps hoard it or perhaps sell it or perhaps try to do something that would just be in her own self-interest. Yet she was selfless, even though she had every reason to be selfish. And the reason why she did that was her faith in Jesus. He saw the power of the resurrected Jesus at work in this poor woman, a woman that society would just overlook and classify as as non-significant and doesn't have power to sway life and is not an influencer yet. It was her actions to love others that were in the same place as her, to serve them, to not hoard. It was the richness of her faith in Jesus that absolutely moved his heart and opened him to faith in Christ. It's the empty tomb that explains it all and changes everything. See, the empty tomb of Jesus, I like to think of it as a mirror. Now, if, if you're like me, there's probably some mirrors. I know it's, it's, I, sometimes I wonder if it's psychological or if it's actually true. I don't know. I haven't researched it. But have you ever stood in front of a mirror that made you look really good? And that mirror becomes a favorite mirror of yours. Or maybe you stand in front of another mirror and just, you're not a fan. You don't like it. It's not flattering. Um, mirrors help us to see ourselves. Sometimes in more altered states or, or less like reality and sometimes closer to reality. The empty tomb, I think, functions as the greatest mirror for our lives. Because often we don't know what we look like. We don't know who we are. We don't know how to kind of name ourselves in this world that seeks to name us for us and, and tries to change how we see ourselves and others, yet the empty tomb absolutely is a mirror to us and lets us see uh, ourselves as we really are, because the empty tomb of Jesus helps us to see ourselves from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, when he looks at us through the lens of the resurrection he doesn't see us as broken, as battered. He doesn't see us as wounded. He sees us as people that are emerging from the ashes of life toward health and wholeness and strength. And even when life seeks to cause struggle and strife to come against us, the empty tomb of Jesus empowers us to endure suffering in ways that nothing else in this life can. I remember hearing about this runner, last name was Bannister, and he was running in 1954. And what he did at that year was that he was the one that was responsible for the four-minute mile. 
Up until that point, no one had ever run a mile in four minutes. Now, if you haven't been running for a bit, I encourage you to go for a run and you'll realize running in a mile in four minutes is still an incredible feat. Um, it's not something that average people can easily do. But up until that point, trained athletes, like the best of the best, couldn't achieve this, this goal of having of completing a mile in under four minutes. Yet, this man broke that record. What was fascinating was that for years and years and years, that had never been achieved. But once it was achieved, from that moment onward, that record has been broken many times over. Now people have run a mile well under four minutes. All it took was for one person to break and shatter that mold and that limitation. Why I, I referenced that under this idea of the empty tomb being a mirror for us is because the resurrection is a mirror because most of the world and often even us as Christians, we're still living as if the tomb is not empty. We're still living as if that four-minute mile is not possible. We're still living as if death has not been triumphed over. We're still living as if Jesus did not rise and change everything. But the fact that he rose, it changes all the possibilities. It has reframed what's possible in your life and mine. And now the empty tomb is the most accurate mirror for human life because it helps people to see if they're down and out that that's not the defining thing in their life. It helps people to see that are people that are rejected, that are lonely. The empty tomb helps them to see you are loved and there's life that's possible beyond the woundedness of, of our experiences. The empty tomb is the most accurate mirror into our lives because it helps us to not define our lives through suffering and struggle alone, but it declares to us there is hope, there is possibility, there is life even after the demise of things. If the empty tomb of Jesus says anything to us, it tells us that it's not death and suffering and struggle that have the final word, but that God in his power and his glory has the final word. Why that's incredibly good news for us is that if you've suffered, suffered rejection, if you have undergone difficulty, if you're living through challenging circumstances, the empty tomb says those things are not the final word. If you've lost your job, if you're going through a difficult season where a bad report has come from the doctor, the empty tomb says this is not the final word. This is not how you should see your life only through these limiting circumstances because the empty tomb has ushered us into this life that's possible through the resurrection of Jesus. See, for Christians, the empty tomb is at the center of our lives because it frees us from fear. It gives us perspective. It provides hope and strength. And I think what this day, Resurrection Sunday, calls us to ask is what actually is at the center of your life? What explains your life? For us as followers of Jesus, we're invited 
to explain our life and understand our life through the empty tomb of Jesus, but perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus. To you, I ask, what explains your life? What's at the center of your life? How powerful would it be if at the center of your life, rather than possessions and accomplishments and all the things that our world tries to stuff our hearts so that we don't feel the, the, the void that we're so trapped by, how powerful would it be for at the center of our lives to be the empty tomb of Jesus? See, today, it may be your, your career, your money, or pleasure, an addiction that's at the center of your life. It may be a trauma, a struggle that is the defining thing in your life. But today, on this day that we celebrate the empty tomb of Jesus, Christ offers us so much more. The driving force of our life shouldn't just be the good things in our life. It shouldn't just be our families or our careers or our money or experiences that we're enjoying or seeking after. Because even good things don't last forever. But the eternal resurrection power of Jesus does and will and has. And it is an invitation for us to live for something and to live from a place that's not fleeting, that won't be here today and gone tomorrow. But when you and I peg our identity and our lives and live from the resurrection of Jesus as our starting place, we are standing on the shoulders of a moment that has outlived things that we thought would never go away. Our faith has outlived Rome, has outlived powerful civilizations and institutions, and yet the empty tomb of Jesus today continues to bring life and hope. The name of Jesus is still powerful to save. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I invite you, call on his name, cry out to him, implore him to save you, to rescue you, because he is able and he is present. He is alive forevermore. And when you and I as his followers cry out to him in, in prayer and seek him in devotion, we are praying to a living God. See, the, the Christian faith, we serve a God who is alive. When we read the scriptures, we're reading about the life of Jesus, not as some biography of a dead thinker, we're reading the life of a living Christ that is alive right now, that has the power to restore and heal and redeem and rescue. So on this Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate the empty tomb, the moment in God's wonderful work that explains our faith, that's the epicenter, it's the command center, it's where our life as followers of Jesus emanates from and flows from. On this day, I invite you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to consider what it would look like for the empty tomb of Jesus to become the defining factor in your life. Not your past, not your best efforts, but an empty tomb of a risen king. I invite you as his followers, if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, today is an invitation to yet again let your life be defined, be interpreted 
be understood through this redeeming, powerful act of God, the empty tomb of his son. Today, you and I get to declare we're not our past. We're not our wounds. We're not what's been done to us. We're not what we've done. We are defined. We are understood. We are empowered through this redeeming act of God's love. His resurrection changed everything and continues to change everything. I want to invite you as we close in prayer, would you join me as we come before the throne of God and receive yet again the powerful resurrection of Jesus as the starting place of our life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus at this moment, I want to invite you to come to him in prayer, to open your heart to him, to to declare him as Lord over your life, to to invite him into your existence and say, Jesus, be the Lord, be the king of my life. Let the empty tomb that we celebrate today be the defining reality of my life. And if you pray that prayer, we would love for you to reach out to us, to let us know that you are making that decision to follow Jesus. We would love to journey with you as together we seek to grow in our love and our affection for Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us what it means to live from the empty tomb. That the foundation we stand on would not be our good efforts, our good works, but we would stand on the empty tomb. That this day that we celebrate that you rose from the dead, may that be our starting point, our defining center of life, the thing that empowers us to live And the thing that refuses to allow us to be mired in hopelessness and despair because your resurrection has changed everything. Lord, for those that are not followers of you yet and at this moment they hear you speaking to their heart, Lord, I pray even now that you would meet them right where they're at. Lord, I pray that they would profess you as king over their life and seek to learn what it means to follow you and to allow your saving grace to permeate all aspects of their heart and mind. Jesus, thank you for this day that we celebrate not just once a year, but it's the foundation and starting point of every day of our life in you. May that be ever more increasingly the reality that we live from. In Jesus' name, amen.